good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us, and how you're listening to us. Thank you for listening to the first Sports in the World podcast episode of 2021. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. I hope all of you are having a good year so far, some maybe more than others, if you look at the news. But other than that, hope all is well with you, and how are you, my man? You know, just hanging, man, slowly watching the world burn itself down and uh, get to watch a little bit of playoff football and the progress of it. Yeah, you know, that's that's always good. And I guess, you know, let's just start there on the college side. You know, the the last time you heard from us was last year and figuring out, you know, the four teams, the best four teams in the country. And here we are now, two, two playoff games down, one more to go for all the marbles. Alabama looking to add to their dominance and Ohio State looking for the upset. But there's been other good games and it's been otherwise, you know, very good college football, you know, playoff season so far and the bowl games as a whole. But uh, give us your thoughts, Chris, on what you've seen so far. So, yeah, first and foremost, I, uh, I truly and honestly think that it needs to go to an 18 playoff system. I uh, I don't know if you saw the rant that the head coach for UNC went on. Not that UNC was even remotely looked at into a top 10, top 8 fashion. But the man made some valid points. And also, you know, you look at this from a broader spectrum. Um, we'll, we'll look at, you know, the Gators Bowl game, for example. The, uh, the Goodyear Tire Cotton Bowl. Um, those players had zero obligation to play. Whatever they did had no bearing. They were not going to win a national title. It would not further their career. The only thing it could do is potentially damage or end their career due to injury. Um, So you had four key players sit out um, offensive powerhouses that decided to, to step out because of their pursuing their career in the NFL. And a lot of people were up in arms. I can't believe they would do that. And I ask every single person that, uh, you know, that said something about it. I said, hey, if you had a chance to make $10 million, would you would you give up, I don't know, uh, uh, your favorite video game or coffee or whatever? And everyone's like, for $10 million, hell yeah. And I'm like, and I was like, do you think these kids didn't, it's not that they didn't want to play, that they had to look at their their career path. You get hurt in a bowl game, your draft stock goes down immensely. You have a very poor performance in a bowl game. That's your last sight as a collegiate player. That is what they remember. They don't remember, you know, for Kyle Trask, they're going to remember the three interceptions that he threw in the first quarter. They're not going to remember the 45 or 46 touchdowns he threw throughout the regular season that just blew every record off the off the shelf. They're going to remember those three uh, bad passes that, that the turnovers. So I think by making it an eight-team playoff, I think that's going to increase the amount of players because they're they're you, you didn't see a single player for the four playoff teams: Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Alabama. You didn't see one player sit out by choice. It was either by force due to injury or COVID, or if they got in trouble from a previous game and they were serving some form of suspension. Other than that. There was those boys weren't sitting out. So imagine if instead you have a top four, you have a top eight. So now you have all those players that sat out for Florida. I don't think it would have sat out. 
all the players that sat out for Georgia and Texas A&M and, and all these other top 10 teams, I think now all of a sudden we have, A, a more aggressive and, and, and uh, meaningful playoff system. And then the fans are going to, you know, get what their money's worth paying for go to the games. And then also it could pad the stats of some of these elite players that are pursuing this NFL career and dream. And it gives them an extra time to shine. And, you know, long term, I think it also will help and benefit the programs that make the, you know, I guess we could call it the elite eight, like the basketball bracket. Um, but I think the four the four team playoff system, number one. I think is rigged no matter what. That was proven. That was 100% proven this year. You know, there there are a, a lot of a lot of things that people thought were rigged, and uh, this was one of them. And you can, when you have to change the rules to make your point and, and to get your way, I, I don't know what you call that besides rigged. In any other form and fashion, that would be rigged. And for Ohio State and the Big Ten to change their rules to push Ohio State, and granted, they throttled Clemson. Dabo had to get a very, very, very large slice of humble pie that night. I think that Clemson just didn't prepare for Ohio State. And with Ohio State playing minimal games and playing practice squads up until the Big Ten Championship, um, they were fresh and ready compared to a team like uh, Clemson, who had to go through Notre Dame twice, and, I, and I'm going to start beating on Notre Dame here in a minute. So trust me, I, they, they didn't uh, they they didn't lose any uh, any love for me. Uh, but I think Clemson just didn't take that game seriously, and the scoreboard showed it. And Ohio State was out to prove something, because again, and I'm going to say it, they're a very overrated program that play in a subpar division, and it's the same thing over and over. And you're going to see it. Alabama will will beat the brakes off of Ohio State. This is not Indiana. This is not uh, even Northwestern. Northwestern gave them a challenge. And Northwestern's not that that great of a program, let's face it. Um, so Ohio State, I think it's going to be the very polar opposite. They're going to get throttled. They're going to get beat down. And it's going to show that they had no business being in the playoffs to begin with. But they do bring a lot of TV money. They have a big fan base and the playoff committee and, and the, the Heinrich Himmler of Ohio state, uh, Kirk Herbstreet, uh, had to get there and, and push him in and, and just ride him into the sunset. Like he always does and has no business doing, but here we are with that. Uh, on the other side of the playoffs, uh, the Alabama and Notre Dame game that went exactly as I knew it would. And I'm pretty sure in the beginning of the season, I did nothing but trash Notre Dame and say how overrated they are. And all throughout the season, I was like, look who they're beating. They're a bunch of scrubs. Yes, they did beat Clemson without their starting quarterback. And they barely beat won that game against a backup that has minimal playing time. They play a healthy Clemson. And well, we see how that worked out. And then, uh, you know, they, they line up against Alabama and, well, <laughs> we see how that worked out. So once again, uh, Notre Dame gets put into a bowl and like any green substance in the house of Snoop Dogg or Do- Dr. Dre, hope he's doing well. You put some green substance in a bowl and it gets smoked pretty quick. And, uh, well, Notre Dame once again found out what it was like to get in an important bowl game and get smoke checked. Um, I know you're the uh, the records and numbers guy, Ladarius. So I'll let you. Uh, if you, you know, I don't know if you already had the stats pulled out, but I know that the in recent history, Notre Dame hasn't fared well in 
New Year's Six bowl games or higher end bowl games. They choke. They're choke artists. We need to stop overhyping them. We need to stop talking about them. If they win the ACC conference, then they're allowed to talk about bowl games. Until then, sit in the corner. You're a waste of space and TV time. I would have rather seen a Texas A&M, even being a Gator fan, I would have rather seen a Texas A&M go in over a Notre Dame or see a Florida go in over uh, a Notre Dame. Both programs, I think, are, are significantly better built. Uh than Notre Dame and it, and it just once again got exposed. So that's my take on the bowl. Um, as far as, you know, the, the national title game, I think, you know, how I stand on that. Uh, so yeah, there won't leave too much conversation for that. I think Mac Jones and uh, Devonte Smith are going to expose Ohio state's lackluster defense and Alabama's defense is going to show the big 10, how, it is to get hit hard and fast and miserably. So I'm going to predict that Alabama is probably going to win by a landslide. And, you know, I, I, you know, as far as when you say about Notre Dame, Notre Dame is very, very bad. And I think I, I wrote about it in an article, or I think I mentioned it. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, with Brady Quinn and Charlie Weiss. And they got the absolute doors blown up of them by Jamarcus Russell. And I think that was the Sugar Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. And you could argue, Chris, that I think the problem is, and I'm going to piggyback on something you said. I think with Notre Dame, the simple problem is, is that they have, I'll use a, I'll use a racing analogy here. Chris, the regular season, they're off the gate and they're great because of who they play, they have better talent than, if that makes any sense. They have better talent than me. So they're off the gates and they're going to get fast. But, Chris, when you get down that stretch, Chris, it gets really tricky. And when they start playing teams like an Alabama, like they played the last couple of years, like, listen, like the Fiesta Bowl, they lost to Colorado in 1995, the Fiesta Bowl. And you look back, they lost to Florida State in the 1996 Orange Bowl. Like, Chris, I can go on and on. 2001, Oregon State blew the doors off 41 to 9. The point is, Chris, some teams are built for the regular season and some are built for the postseason. It's, it's no different when you look at, look at Major League Baseball, Chris. Now, you know how many division titles, we know how great the Atlanta Braves were in the 90s, correct? Say again? I said, you knew how great the Atlanta Braves were in the 90s. Oh, they right, were Absolutely. They were studs. They just couldn't do it in the postseason. And so how many World Series championships did they get? All the, all those great years, one. I was going to say it was one. It was 90, 96, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not built for the long run. They're not like Alabama. Alabama, to me, reminds me, very reminiscent, of the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, the regular season matters to them because you, it's all about positioning. The regular season, Chris, is all about positioning, trying to get the best seed possible. But they don't lose focus playing in January. In the case of, you know, the Chiefs, they, they want to be there in February. And Alabama, yeah, excuse me, and Notre Dame has the mindset of, you know, we're just built up until January, period. 
And speaking of things being built, I'll transition back to your 18 playoff concept. Chris, I've always said this about the committee, and this is the biggest problem I have with the college football committee, Chris, is, is that there's no chance in the world a team like a team like Cincinnati ever had a shot, even though they went undefeated and they played very well against a very good Georgia team, Chris. I don't know if you had a chance to watch that game. Um, yeah, bits and parts of it, yeah. They, they hung around, and you could argue, coach, you know, you could argue – Luke Fickle coaching decisions toward the end maybe kind of cost the Bearcats that game. But, Chris, they were in the game. And they proved that they could compete with a Power 5 school, something you've heard me say on this show ever since literally last year. I said that Cincinnati should get in based on the fact that, look, you can't focus on who they play, Chris. It's about doing, taking care of business. Like, I'll give you an example, Chris. You know, something could be so easy to you, Chris, that you should be able to do in record time. Absolutely. In, in record time. So, but you don't control what's in front of you. You you know, like, for example, none of these kids control who they play. That's the ADs. That, you know, that's the athletic department. That's not on them. Same thing in the NFL. Same thing at literally any level of sport. You don't, con- you don't make the pick and choose the schedule. You just pick and, you know, you can pick and choose non-conference. But other than that, you don't get to choose who you play in your conference or if your conference is great or not. Cincinnati did exactly what they did, and they dominated their conference. And I argue that, listen, BYU, even a one-loss BYU, they lost by two yards. And they lost to an undefeated Coastal Carolina team. And my biggest complaint is, with the Big Ten, is that with Ohio State, Ohio State, Listen, I know people are going to say, oh, we're dears, look how they play. Like, did you see the first half of that game against Northwestern? It took a it took a second half comeback to beat Northwestern. Okay, so I don't want to hear, oh, you know, oh, you know, we, no. Northwestern's a very good defense. They're a very good team, Pat, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald has. My biggest takeaway, Chris, is about this whole playoff system is Ohio State got in because their conference changed. They changed the rules. It's simply put, when you have rules in place, Chris, you change them for exigent circumstances. You don't change them because you fear that them same rules will go against your best product. Because you said six games, Chris, most of the conference plays six games. So just because Ohio State didn't, so we got to shut it down and like, you know what? We just got to change the rules and get them in. That's what happened. And people could argue, oh, there's nothing to do with bias against Ohio State. You know, Derek is very happy because Derek's very happy. Our buddy Derek's happy. And, you know, and that's great. But the point is, Chris, this system in here, in place, is not going to work because, Chris, it benefits the limited amount. Yep. It, will continue, it will continue to benefit the Notre Dames. It will continue to be, uh, excuse me, and the Ohio State to the world, Chris. Because that's the way a system is con- – that's the way it's constructed. Because anybody who believes Cincinnati was getting in, it wasn't going to happen. Even if, Chris, even if on the pure hypothetical, if Ohio State would have lost, they still would have put in a one-loss Texas A&M team over an undefeated Cincinnati. That's what would have happened. I'm not saying it's fair, Chris, but the system – and you're looking at who's running it. You're looking at who's involved, Chris. No, no non-power five team with the undefeated record would never have a chance.
because in the committee's eyes, they're focused on who they're playing and not how they're playing. And Chris, those are two separate factors, Chris. And I'm going to mention the NFL team later that kind of fits that. Don't focus on, you're focusing on, oh, who they're playing. It's like, how did they play against them? Essentially, Cincinnati can't control if Houston was bad, Chris. That's not their fault. Or if, you know, you anybody in their conference was terrible, Chris. They went up there and demolished who they had to. It's it's, it's the BCS system, Chris. It's yeah, like I can... I can I can definitely if I could jump in I can definitely agree on that and I think that was my argument uh, with with UCF a couple years ago when when they were pretending to be national champions and I think that was even my thing is expand the playoffs and let these teams like Cincinnati in uh, or or you know back then a UCF or uh, a BYU you know um, let them in and see what happens if they get the doors blown off of them like they should. Then, all right, you know, points have been proven. We'll we'll let it go, and uh, you know, there's, you know, and that, and that and that's that, you know. Uh, but you know, like you said, there was no reason for Notre Dame to be there. They had to change the rules to put Ohio State in there because they know Ohio State's going to fill TV ratings. It's going to fill boosters. It's going to fill all of the financials that they need for this bowl game, but. You had to re- you had to literally change the rules just just to do it, and I I, I don't uh, I don't think that's okay. I definitely don't think that's okay. But I guess that's just where we are in this until we can develop an eight team system to allow you know. And and I think I said it uh, when we first started this show. It's a simple solution. You've got a power five. You got five power. You know the five power five conferences: the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, the ACC. Uh, the SEC and the Pac-12. The, so you've got five spots already filled. The the champion of your division, uh, you automatically get a ticket. And then what's the up and coming one? The what's the one where UCF and and BYU is that the the AAC? Yeah, the AAC. Yeah, BYU. Okay. BYU. BYU is independent, but UCF okay, so, and Houston well, they're all in the AAC. Okay, so let's get the AAC a spot, and then this independent shit. Uh, the only ones that should be independent are like the service academies, uh, you know, and uh, and and things like that. You know, the specific teams like that. The service academies, maybe like a Harvard, a Yale, you know, uh, but like BYU and Notre Dame and all that crap. They they need to, you know, Notre Dame did their thing and got into the ACC. If BYU wants to be taken as seriously. I think they uh, they need to to get their butts in there and uh, and, and get into a conference. But so, so right there, I just literally opened up you know six guaranteed slots, and then so you've got position seven and eight. Give it to a one loss. You know what? We all. I mean, it's going to sound biased, but the the SEC I think is the and it's proven statistically is the best overall conference in in college football. So you have the SEC champion and a one loss. You know, let's just say uh, in this season, you know, you had a a, a one loss A&M or maybe the runner up to the SEC title with UF uh, in there in the seven slot or maybe a, a really good ACC team uh, or or an, another big 12 or somebody, you know, th- this this four team system, it's 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 rigged. I mean, I I. I, I don't know honestly how else to put it. It's just it's a hundred percent rigged. It, 
to me, it, it's rigged from this perspective, Chris. It's rigged because it lacks opportunity. And I believe that this is what with March Madness, they expanded their field from like 64 to 68 because of what you were saying. Because what was happening, Chris, is that somehow a team with 20 wins would be sitting on the sideline versus a team with 18 wins. The problem becomes, Chris, it's about opportunity. Nobody is saying, Chris, to make, you know, the college football playoff 16 games. No. Eight is enough because you have, like I say, five guarantees and three at large. Because, because at the end of the day, Chris, the, the biggest problem with this committee format is, it's just that they do not look at numbers. They're not numbers people like me. You know, as you know, as you, I'm a numbers person. Yeah. So I look at the numbers, and and I also look at the eye test. And the problem is, if you take, if you amogulate the BCS system, which was basically a computer, which was HAL three thousand computer was a computer. I cannot and compute. You, yeah, well, Sorry. I'll make it compute. I'll make it compute. <laughs> I'll make a computer, right? But you got to turn the cameras off. But the point, what's that guy doing the computer? You don't worry about that. Don't and you, you worry. Take the, yeah, don't worry, folks. It's going to work. You take the BCS system and you merge it with the college football, with the committee. Because if you look at the numbers, Chris, Cincinnati would have got in. Or simply because, Chris, they factor in, like I said, I always talk about this ad nauseum. Look at those, that team back in 2001, that great Miami team, arguably one of the best college football teams, period. They were blowing the doors off the people who they were supposed to, and it, no game was really close. You knew who the backups were in the second half. You knew who the whole roster was. That's how good they were. So you look at Alabama, Alabama blows the doors off the people. But the difference between that the Miami concept and the Alabama concept is time and the format. Alabama would be number one in the same system, Chris, because they blew the doors off people and they're in the best conference in the country. So we don't debate Alabama, Chris. We're debating about teams like Notre Dame and Ohio State who in most they kind of squeeze by, sometimes single digits. Like look at that Indiana game. They barely got by in yeah. the second half. So the BCS will compute and go, oh, well, you won, but. And the fact of the matter, Chris, the system is not going to change because you have people in control who don't, who don't want it to change. To me, if you expand it, Chris, it's money. And last time I checked, Chris, you know, I know there's a song that says love makes the world go around, but so does money. Yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's so, definitely no denying that. You know, listen, you know, like Shane O'Mac, you know, wrestling, you know, money, money. money. You, you do that. Ted DiBiase, take your pick. It's all money. It's all money. This cannot fail. It's money. You can literally schedule, you know, you your semifinal games and your four biggest ball games. If you wanted to, there's money. And the problem is, Chris, the system is not going to change before we move on is, is because you have people who are OK with the status quo. It's okay to put in Ohio State because they're simply Ohio State, Chris. If this school was Wasamana U, this team ain't sniffing the playoffs. Because it's Ohio State, because of the lineage. And by the way, the commissioner, by the way, the chairman of the Coswell Committee happens to be the chairman. He happens to be the AD at Iowa. 
And the last time I checked, I was in the Big Ten. I'm not saying conspiracy, Chris. I'm not like you, my friend. I leave that conspiracy stuff to you. <laughs> so I leave that X Files S stuff to you. But <laughs> and you get music too in the new year. You're all, you all are welcome. And <laughs> I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, but Chris, if the, if the chairman was not the commission, you know, was the chairman of was the AD of a team in the Big Ten, would Ohio State even have got in? I don't think so, because of the fact of the matter is, Chris, if you have to change the rules, that says more about you than it does about you know. You, it says a lot about your your conference and what you, it says what you stand for. Because listen, everybody else in your conference who played six games are going to get screwed because Ohio State, oh, because they're Ohio State. So, okay, so we're just going to go and bend the rules. It's no different. It's, a, it's like nepotism, Chris. And we all, in most companies, listen, we know the, the owner's son can't run, a, you can't run the factory. But does that matter? No, because the old man runs the factory. So he's going to put his son as like, you know, as the foreman. Is he going to be popular? No. And plus, he can't do his job. And I'm pretty sure everybody literally who works under him is way more qualified than the son. And Chris, that's no difference in the college football playoff. Everybody in the Big Ten who played six games had a better resume than Ohio State because everybody else followed the rules. But yet, because it's Ohio State, they got in. And I'm not knocking the fact that they got in, Chris. It's just the way they got in. Yeah. It's just the way they I'm not saying they're I'm not saying they're trash, Chris. I it's am. the way they got in. It's like, well, I know you, Chris. I can <laughs> never be you in that. But I know you are, but I'm not gonna, you know, demagogue them because they it's the fact of how you got in. You screwed you, you know, you screwed a team like Indiana who who followed the rules, but they can't play. That's, because that's society we live in, man. It's it's what we want, not what's right. Yeah, you know the whole bourgeois. We can we can all go is that historical route, but you know that's for another episode. But speaking of speaking of fairness, you know I I think this year, Chris, the way the NFL playoff system, I think we got some of our best football towards the last month of the season. Yeah, I, we are, I think, we are in for. An outright treat. And I think adding that extra spot, Chris, gave more teams incentives to play harder. Because it's it's just like, you know, you know, when baseball did the very same thing. Notice how teams that wouldn't have a chance, you know, maybe in September, they had something to play for. And and it's no different from what we saw, you know, last month of, of the NFL season. A lot of teams competing for two spots. And and I think what we love about football, you know, maybe just speaking for me, is, is that look, it's the any given any given Sunday concept. Or this year, any given any other day of the week. Because literally an NFL game was played every single day of the week this season. Yeah. So literally any given day of the week, anybody can go out there, compete, and win. So when we look at you know, these playoff matchups, you know, they're very, very intriguing for different reasons. You know, I'll go into them, but I'll let you, I'll let you, my man, start off and give us, you know, give us your thoughts, you know, on the, on the 
the playoffs, and give us your thoughts on what, how the season was overall. Well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the season was uh, it, it was a very interesting one, to say the least, with with injuries, COVID, uh, you know, just just anything and everything was just a it it was it was a unique experience for for all of us and uh i'm 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 just happy we got to play a full season i there was a good portion and chunk of time that i honestly didn't think that we were going to get a full season they were going to i i thought we were going to get to about week 7 week 8 they were just going to cancel it call it off and you know and unfortunately that would just be the way the cookie crumbles and uh, but thankfully we didn't, you know, uh, it, it provided us some fun time with fantasy and you found out how people operated in fantasy. You got to figure out uh, who was who was a, a, a good coach, who's a bad coach and then everything in the middle. And uh, it definitely it it was it was a very interesting season. And then, like you said, I think the best is is yet to come with the teams that are left. Um, you know, if, if you look at the playoff brackets, you got, uh, Kansas, Tennessee, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, Indy, Green Bay, Washington, Tampa, Seattle, Los Angeles Rams, New Orleans Saints, and Chicago Bears. Um, you know, the, the fact that the, if, if you would have told me that the Bears and the Browns are going to make the playoffs this season, I think I might have slapped you and like try to knock some sense into you just because I was worried that you were possibly losing your mind, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and now we're, we're looking at this and number one, just how well the bears, you know, fared out this season. They had some things go their way. They had some quarterback troubles. They, They had some team troubles. They, they were just working, you know, working against in every way possible. Um, you know, the chiefs did as expected. I think we all knew that where, where they were going to go. Um, you know, and then same thing with the Ravens. I think we even talked about preseason Buffalo being, you know, the changing of the guard in the, in the AFC East and how, and how Buffalo was going to be, uh, you know, one of the more dangerous teams to, uh, you know, to be, to be in there. Um, you know, and then, you know, I think my my picks were, you know, uh, definitely Kansas and Seattle. Uh, I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm as I think I got a little bit of buyer's remorse with Seattle, unfortunately. Um, I think that they had some issues with uh, defense was not their friend this season. Uh, Jamal Adams going there, I, I don't think was any help whatsoever. Um you know, so honestly, I as much as it pains me to say it, just because of who the quarterback for the team is, I I think Tampa Bay honestly stands a very serious chance in in the league, you know, to to win it all. Defensively, I think they're one of the most complete defensive units. They've got a very strong line. They've got a good you know linebacker core, and they've got great uh, corners and safeties. You know, that secondary is quite strong. You know, so you look at all that stuff that you have and uh, that 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 adds up after a while. And uh, you look at the Tampa Bay when they played, uh, they kept Kansas City under 30 points and they outright demolished Green Bay. Was it a fluke? I, you know, hashtag who knows? 
Um, I think we're, you know, only time is going to tell, you know, tell with that. But uh, I definitely think that it's going to be some great playoffs. And I think we're going to see some behind the scenes action. I think Cleveland's still, uh, you know, lurking around as crazy as that sounds right now. I honestly think that they they could possibly stand up and, uh, you know, may, I'm not going to say they're going to win the Super Bowl by any standards, but I definitely think they could upset a team and, and really wreak some havoc there in the AFC side. But uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'm still uh, I'm still trying to figure out uh, you know the brackets. I didn't create a uh, a per se official one just yet, but uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be a great time. And then you still got some legendary quarterbacks like Drew Brees poking around there. You've got uh, uh, what's his face there from the Colts. Uh, I'm having a complete brain fart. If you can help me with that one. Um, da, 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 da. Oh, oh, uh, oh, Philip Crimea. Philip, River. yeah, Philip, yeah, Philip Rivers. <laughs> You know, you've got him still lurking around in the back, and uh, I, I don't. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited to see it, man. What's, what's your take on all this? You know, Chris, I, I'm always excited, and there's a lot of story. I, me personally, I, I look at a team like Buffalo. Somebody, and I've talked about Josh Allen on this show, probably more than my own. We did our picks, you know, our predictions. I said, Chris, that if you recall, if Josh Allen takes the next step in that linear progression, this Bills team can not only, you know, dominate the AFC East, Chris, they're Super Bowl contenders. And and I look at it and I go, I'm very, I'm very impressed with Josh Allen. Simply because, Chris, you know, we can all, you know, we can all people say, oh, if I have Stephon Diggs, I can be great too. Uh, Go tell it to Kirk Cousins. But anyway, so, you know, the point is simply this, Chris. I like Buffalo. Listen, you know, it's going to be the Colts at the Bills, you know, you know, you know, minus seven for the Bills. I tell people you jump on it. I I take I'll, I'll make my predictions. I take the Bills, Chris, because as much as I like, you know, the job that, you know, the Colts have done, Matt Eberfloss and that defense. Very, very good. They're top. They're top 10 in offensive defense this year. You know, Chris, we look at Jonathan Taylor, who helped me a lot out in fantasy. You know, he helped me a lot. You know, he had, you know, 1,468 yards from scrimmage. That was 60 in the NFL, Chris, and he's a rookie. Yeah. And remember, we talked about, we talked about, listen, those guys, listen, they drafted like in the second round. Like, Chris Ballard is building this team through the draft and smart for agency moves. And Chris Ballard picked up a very good running back, a Marshall Falk-esque running back who can do it on the ground and do it in open space. And like I say, you know, 80, 83-year-old Philip Crimea Rivers, he's been pretty good this season too. I'll give him credit because I bashed the crap out of him. I, I, you know, I, back in 20, I bashed the crap out of him because he just made mistakes. But now when you have a great running game and you have, you know, you have a, a great talent on the out on the edges, Chris, you know, he doesn't have to he he doesn't have to make those throws in the fourth quarter. He can make smarter throws. He can be more efficient. And he has been. So, but when I look at the Bills, Chris, I talked about Josh Allen. My only concern with Buffalo, Chris, is the defense. Because the defense has allowed 25 or more points at seven times this season. All of 2019, Chris, they only did it once. So the defense may have gone down, but I think. Sean McDermott will have these guys ready 
So I still like Buffalo. Minus I take Buffalo there. The Rams and Seahawks, you know, once again, another divisional matchup. It's like that one year, remember, when Alabama played LSU like three times? Like, how is that possible? Listen, it happens. I'm not a math. It happens. But it's it's like Rams-Seahawks part three. Yeah. So so in this situation, the last time we saw them, the Rams didn't look great. They didn't look great. And what you saw was a different Seattle mindset. Because I think, you know, one of the things, Chris, is that Pete Carroll, Russell Peele, oh, the defense, the defense. This defense will turn it around December, getting to the January, because that's what good teams do. Experienced teams figure it out. Seattle has figured out, listen, we got Carlos Hyde. Chris, we have a run game. And listen, you got arguably DK Metcalf on the outside, who, listen, he makes me look like, you know, Muggsy Bogues. You know, essentially, because I'm 6'4". He's out there dominating on the edge you know, as a receiver. And at the end of the day, Chris, I always bet on Seattle. I take Seattle. They're minus three and a half to be favored. Here's why, Chris. In the playoffs, Russell Wilson, 23 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, at 62.3 completion percentage. He doesn't make many mistakes in the playoffs, Chris. He's been there. He's done that. And I think for the Rams, but the Rams have the best defense in football, Chris. And people are like, well, Ladarius, why are you still picking the Seahawks? I trust Russell Wilson more than I do Jared Goff. Because it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. Jared Goff, you know, as much as, you know, you know, he, you know, I don't hate him. I don't hate people by nature. I trust Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is like Mariano Rivera to me, Chris. Is if I put the ball in his hands, I know that 99.9% is like a Maury paternity test. He's going to win the football game or put the team in the position to win. So I like Seattle there. You know, and your favorite guy, Tom Brady, I know he's your favorite quarterback. You know, you don't have to tell me, Chris. You you don't have to tell me, Chris. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. It's okay. It's okay. No, I get it. Hold on. I, I said at the beginning of the season that I will retract what I've said about him if he goes and wins because he. You know, my biggest thing with him is, you know, he was a system quarterback. He was in a controlled environment and he he had everything he needed. He had star studded talent all the way across the board for him. Um, You know, he had the uh, essentially the referees in his pocket. He had a good coach. He had everything needed to be successful. And then he comes to Tampa Bay. You know, he's off to a little bit of a rocky start. But you look at. Where they, I mean, this is the first time they've made the playoffs in God knows how long and have a winning record. Um, you, you know, I like I said, I'll, I'll retract my words. He he goes in and does damage and and does what Tom Brady does in the playoffs. I will uh, I will I will eat my crow. And 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 the thing is, Chris, I think I'll, I'll eat my crow later on with with two other teams, especially one team in particular. We had to do it with two. Why not? It's the new year. But sticking with, you know, with Tampa at Tampa at Washington, you know, eight and a half favorites on the road. You know, usually going on the road for a team, you know, a, a team, especially like Washington, it can be very dangerous. They have the second best defense in football. Ron Rivera has them playing very smart, sound football. Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan. I mean, Chris, you know, there's talent on that defense. I can go on and on. But 
The thing with Tom Brady, and listen, I, I talked about Russell Wilson, Chris. Let me tell you something, you know, Thomas Aloysius Brady III. In his playoff career, 73 touchdowns, 35 interceptions, 63% completion percentage. He's 30 and 11 in the playoffs. And one of the things that this is the best team, Chris, I don't know if you'll agree. This is the best, even in those Super Bowl teams, this is maybe the top three team he's ever had in his career. In his career. Oh, because absolutely. he he has a great defense led by Todd Bowles, who I really, really love. And, and, and maybe they're not running the ball, but I think they'll figure, you know, I, you may not necessarily lean on the run game, but they'll, you know, they'll figure it out. But I think the biggest key that we learned this year, Chris, and I have to eat a little crow on this as well, is, is that look at New England and look at Tampa. Is that we all, you know, I said that, you know, that, you know, Belichick doesn't get enough credit. Go look at, go look at, uh, go look at New England. It's like, Chris, those were essentially some of the same dudes that Brady played with last year. Yeah. But yet these dudes went, what, seven and nine? And all of a sudden, and that team won a Super Bowl, Chris. What would that team won a Super Bowl almost three years ago? You wouldn't believe me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, the, the regression is uh, is real. <laughs> and it's like, people, if I told you that team beat the, the Rams in the Super Bowl, you'd have laughed at me. And like, yeah, same dudes. Same dudes. So it speaks to Tom Brady and his impact. And I call him, he's like LeBron James. Because LeBron James, I tell people, when yeah. LeBron James, I, I know you don't like him either. But I'll, I'll go on nonetheless. My simple thing is, when LeBron went to Cleveland, Cleveland was trash. He gets there. Cleveland gets to a final. It was basically LeBron James. It was kind of like Justin Timberlake in the in, in sync. That's essentially what LeBron had. It didn't matter who the other four dudes were, but you had to have somebody on stage. Yeah, you had just in the same way you had to have four, five guys to play a basketball game. You really didn't need them, but they were there. And I'm not disrespecting anybody. In this, don't don't send your letters or anything like that. But he has that effect. Look at and now look at look at Cleveland. Now he's no longer there. Trash. They're trash. The only exception is Miami has great management in Pat Riley. That's why. That's why he hasn't felt the face of the planet, and that's why LeBron and the Lakers have a championship. LeBron. And that's an effect that Tom Brady has. I'm not saying they're going to, you know, you know, they got to get past Washington first. But they're a very good football team. And as long as this defense, Chris, the keys for Tampa is this defense. Listen, like I said, Todd Bolts has this defense playing very well. And the key is going to especially be against this Washington team. Washington can run the ball. Like, you know, they're, they're bottom they're the bottom of the league, Chris, but like Antonio Gibson, he's healthy. He gets hot, Chris. You know, like he has been, Chris. This could be a closer game. And then you have Alex Smith. You have a guy, Chris, who doesn't lose football games in the concept of he's not going to give you the mistakes to keep you in the game, if that makes any sense. He's smart with the football. Can he's I been- sidebar with Alex Smith real quick? Sure, go around ahead. That man needs to have an award named after him. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just I I cannot preach enough on on Alex Smith's life. I mean, just everything that's happened to him, and uh, to that dickhead that took that cheap shot on him. I don't know if you saw the game on Sunday when mm-hmm. 
He's when the, the lineman blew through the line and whacked his leg. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, you know, number one, uncalled for. Number two, that that that's like I, I, I don't know. I mean, that would be like pissing on a statue of like George Washington or something. Like, come on, have have some better class, man. Uh, but yeah, I just, you know, and that's, and that's the one thing, like you said, is that he, he, Alex Smith doesn't fundamentally lose. Not, not to saying that it's, you know, the, the rest of his team, cause it's a team sport, but right. the but, chances yeah. of him costing you the game are significantly less likely than, uh, a, another form of, uh, of losing per se, I guess we can say. Mm-hmm. But sorry, I just wanted to say that that man yeah. needs to have some type of award named after him. And I just, what scares me, and it doesn't scare me, but it excites me. Between Ron Rivera, I think the one thing that Ron Rivera always had an issue with when since he's been a head coach is consistency and determination as a quarterback. His first year, with year or two with Cam Newton, it was a honeymoon. They went to the Super Bowl. And then after that, it just Cam Newton became his own worst enemy. And I think that showed this season. And I think his body is just too beat to be playing in the style that he plays. Uh, it started the quarterback carousel. And then for some stupid reason, the, the upper echelon of Carolina thought it would be a brilliant idea to get rid of him. He goes to Washington and takes the team. There are two teams you could always count on to make fun of in the NFL. It's the Browns and the Redskins. All of a sudden, both teams are like they're like that nerdy kid as a freshman who weighed like a hundred pounds soaking wet, and he hits like that growth spurt in his senior year. He's like six four, two sixty, and looks like Brock Lesnar. All of a sudden, you're like, oh shit, <laughs> like this is not good. And and I think that's where the 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 nah, the Redskins, Washington Football Team, whatever the hell we want to call them. Uh, I, I think next season is going to be a very interesting time. I think that the NFC East might have a new uh, dominant champion. And, and you know, to kind of piggyback what you're saying, Chris, is go back to Alex Smith. You know, I wrote an article last year, and I said, if he's not your comeback player of the year, Chris, then you got to rename the award. Because, of, because here's the thing, Chris. He came play, he played on the same field that he essentially in, almost ended his career. His career, and he came out and played professional football again. One thing that I'll always say about Alex Smith, you, you know, in the in in the end of football history, he'll be known as the guy that was drafted in the same draft as Aaron Rodgers. Fun fact, he's the number one overall pick in the draft. But when it comes to his story beyond the game, if you, it doesn't matter whether you how you feel about Alex Smith as the football player. But Alex Smith, the person, to come out there and want to take hits again. A lot of people, Chris, get hurt that way, and their careers are done. They don't want to play anymore. But Alex Smith wanted to go out and play arguably the one position where you're going to take a lot of hits. And sometimes wins and losses don't matter in the grand scheme of things, Chris. Because when you look at the story of Alex Smith, look at Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera beat cancer, Chris. People tend to forget about that. Yeah. I mean, he rung a bell and beat cancer while trying to be the head coach of the Washington football team. If anything, Chris, that's just that there are a lot of stories this year. I'm impressed with Washington, not just from the football standpoint, but just from the people standpoint. Because when you hire it, because we both loved the Ron Rivera hire. I think we can both agree. We Absolutely. both love the hire 
because we saw, listen, like you said with Cam Newton, everything was spot on. I'll just add to the fact that with Cam Newton, the one thing I said Cam Newton's problem was, was he was not what? He wasn't accurate with the football. Yep. I told people that, like, listen, a good quarterback, you know, should throw 60%. That's, a, that's just a good quarterback. It's it, anytime you have to play something, it, it, you got to be, uh, you got to be accurate. You're not going to take like if we're in the military, you're not going to take the guy, you know, so so typically just so you know, or or whoever listening knows if they don't know. So most military branches have a three tier qualification system for weapons training. You have marksman, sharpshooter and expert marksman is like, maybe you shouldn't be having a gun in your hand. Maybe we'll give you like the, the rape whistle and the wooden pistol from uh, the other guys sharpshooters like okay like you know what you're doing like i could trust you to shoot the person in front of you and not me and then expert is like you're you know you're john wick (laughs) um and like a sniper for example okay so like let's i mean hell let's let's bring up a a real life one chris kyle uh you you need your quarterback to be like chris kyle you need he needs to be hitting what he's aiming at compared to uh you know a guy that it's just kind of throwing a grenade in a random direction uh, uh, to whom it may be concerned. Every every pass in the NFL needs to be a dear John, a dear Tom, a dear Bob, whatever. Uh, it can't be a, a blanket letter that you're sending to your company the day you quit. Uh, so you need to have accuracy. And Cam Newton, I definitely don't think he would have qualified as expert on the, <laughs> on the range uh, compared to some of the other quarterbacks. And it shows, just like you said. And... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know why I went on that sidebar, but I just I I would I looked at that I thought about that analogy and I was like that makes a whole lot of sense right now. And, so please continue. And 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 that's my point is is that listen, people were sitting there saying that oh you're bashing, like no, I said you should be accurate. Should be accurate. That's in any facet of your life. Like I'm not saying, and I said this, Chris, when he got drafted. I said he was a project because he wasn't accurate. Because at Auburn, he really wasn't asked to throw the football because of the system. So I'm not faulting Cam Newton. But the fact of the matter is, Chris, is that a lot of people looked at Ron Rivera like, no, Ron Rivera, yeah, did he get to the Super Bowl? Absolutely. But you need to look at that defense, too. Like That defense, like Thomas Davis, Josh Norman, that was a pretty good defense. So... While we're sitting here and giving credit to Cam, that defense did pretty well. And you give Ron Rivera, Chris, a good quarterback. He doesn't he, he doesn't need a Patrick Mahomes. Heck, every team in the league wants a Patrick Mahomes. But that's not, you know, you can't clone him, and that's not how it works. So Ron Rivera needed a guy who was just smart with the ball through, you know, high IQ guy. I'm not saying Cam Newton's an idiot, but high IQ in terms of being accurate knowing where to throw the ball. And we learned a lot that, listen, the same way we learned that, that, listen, maybe Tom Brady deserves more credit in New England. I think we also learned that Ron Rivera deserves a little bit more credit in Carolina. I think we also learned that this season, too, because it, for the same reason. Look where look, look where the Patriots are and look where the Washington football team and look where Tampa is. They're, play, they're playing this weekend. So... Uh, you know, it was a good, interesting sidebar there, Chris, because it, accuracy matters. And and going back to Washington football team, I think, you know, if you ask me today, eight and a half, you know, eight and a half dogs are Washington. 
I still, a part of me says Tampa wins, but take the point. Take Washington football team plus eight and a half. It's going to be a very close game because Washington's defense will make it a very close game. I think they they have, I think Ron Rivera will figure it out. And speaking, and, you know, one of my, to me, the, my favorite matchup of this weekend, Ravens-Titans. Here's the thing, Chris. If you had to ask me, who I, if I told you, Chris, that these are the top two teams who led the league in rushing, you know, you know, listen for for the Ravens, Chris, they ran the ball for over three thousand yards, Chris. Three thousand yards. That's how many rushing yards the Baltimore Ravens had this season. It sounds unbelievable, but it's true. I know. You just. You just sit yeah, there. It, you you try you like you try to comprehend it, and you just it it it, it looks like uh, you you got the big adding machine out like in the Looney Tunes, uh, you know, yeah. school cartoons. <laughs> it, it it's literally mad numbers, and and tight and the Titans listen led by Derrick Henry, they're second in the league with no two thousand seven hundred ninety rushing yards. But here's where the difference happens, Chris, and this is where I say. Listen, you take the Ravens outright to win this football game. Take the Ravens. The Ravens are seventh in defense. The Titans are 28th. As great as Mike Vrabel is, Chris, it's simple. If you can't stop Lamar Jackson, Chris, I don't care. You could have Derrick Henry, Earl Campbell, Eddie George, all the great running backs in the history of the Tennessee Titans, Houston Oilers history, Chris. It doesn't matter how many, you know, if you can't stop Lamar Jackson. You're, you're in a bad day. <laughs> it's, a bad, it's, it's, not the, it's not a great day in the office. And that, to me, makes them a sneaky, sneaky Super Bowl team. They could make the AFC Championship game. Because if you look at what I talked about, with Buff, if Buffalo can get by Indianapolis, potential team they have to play, Chris, Baltimore can run the ball and they play good defense. John Harbaugh is a listen. John Harbaugh does a great job, but I give a lot of credit to Ozzie Newsom, the guy who, in his final draft, drafted Lamar Jackson, trading back up to the first round to get Lamar Jackson. Because listen, I I was one of those people, and I'll admit, Chris, I'll eat crow. I was big on, oh, he has to throw the ball more. Now I was like flailing my arms like I was Fozzie Bear, like waka waka waka, but. But Chris, I, I I'm I bought in because there are just some dudes, Chris, where you just have to. There's always the exception to the rule, where if you're a quarterback, you have to throw the football. Lamar Jackson proven that he's the exception to the rule. It's it's just like you know you look at basketball. For basketball, you know to be a great to be a dominant player, you have to be a certain size and stature. Michael Jordan broke that. Michael Jordan was a guard and was the best play, still was the best player who ever played the game. Allen Iverson. You look at look at Allen Iverson. Look at how the game look at Kobe. Look at these guys who changed my in the point that yeah, like I say, in the NBA, big men were dominant. All of a sudden, guys like Kobe, you know, MJ, Kobe, even AI, who just dominated in their era, you know, respectively. So there's always for every rule in life, there's an exception. Look at Mike Trout. 
Mike Trout is every rule. You look at the size of Mike Trout. You, you're like, this guy can't hit homers. And he, what do I know? Yeah, he, he puts him in the orbit. He, does, he, puts, he just doesn't hit him. He He's launching. He's like Elon Musk out there putting satellites in the sky. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's the guy. Yeah, he works for Tesla. And, you know, I'm not saying conspiracy theory. He might work for Tesla. The way he's sending them out. Listen, he's the exception. And I think Lamar Jackson is the exception to the rule of, of every quarterback. That we've always been taught, Chris, that they have to be great throwing the ball. That's not simply true. Lamar Jackson will, at some point, it's like with Michael Vick. Michael Vick, same thing. It's just that Lamar Jackson doing what Michael Vick did and taking it literally, sticking with the Elon Musk, you know, Tesla thing, taking it out, you know, to outer space. They're taking that concept and just bloviating it and making it do the outer space. So. I like I like Baltimore in that game. Tennessee, if they can find a way to stop Lamar Jackson, then you know, bless their hearts if they can. You know, the game I don't want to talk about, but I will. The Bears and the Saints. And let me say this: I will admit, Chris, that I was wrong about the Bears. I rip on the Bears just as much as I rip on on the Cleveland Browns. Maybe it's something with me in the Midwest. I don't know. Yeah, you got this real hatred towards him, man. Is there anything we, we, we need to talk about? Or? Oh, here we go. No, no. <laughs> here we go. Don't, don't doctor fill me. You know, not, not in the first episode of the year. Maybe, you know, in the 10th episode you can. Like, I thought about that. I said, I mean, is there something wrong with me? I have a beef with the Midwest? Because I'm a Cubs fan. You know that. So I don't know what the problem is. Yeah, so I don't know what the problem is. But I will give credit. What credits do? I'm not people like, oh, well, look at Mr. Biscuit. He still ain't going to be there, folks. Here's the thing. How do you feel? This guy's going to start a playoff game and get shellacked and ain't going to be there next year. You're thinking that this guy in one month all of a sudden became Patrick Mahomes? He became Deshaun Watson, Chris? Like, that's literally saying if you're on the verge of breaking up with someone and all of a sudden they start going out and doing nice things, that's going to say the relationship. That's not how it works. In the words of JoJo, too little, too late. Too late. Oh, I can sing that song. It's just a little. That's a great song. <laughs> that, that's a great song. I tell people, don't sleep on that song. It's just, oh my. Oh, the, anyway, see, we're getting sidetracked. But we're always focused. It's just like, you know, look. The, big, the biggest reason to the success of the Bears is David Montgomery. They found a way to run the football. They went back to the way the Bears have had to play. Listen, Trubisky's played great over the last month, Chris. That's fine and well, but it's not going to save his job because Bears fans know this is the cap. Trubisky gets us in, and that's it. I believe they're going to look for a quarterback in the draft, and there's going to be a couple of ones that are going to probably be sitting there, middle of the draft, there. Because if Matt Nagy wants to have a job, he needs to get a quarterback. Because you traded for Nick Foles, and Nick Foles lost his job to Mr. Trubisky, Chris. But you know, all I heard, Chris, on Twitter was that, is that oh, Nick Foles should be the quarterback. He oh, he should be the quarterback for the Eagles because he was bet. Folks, he won one game. I gave him the Super Bowl. He didn't save a bus full. Like you're thinking, like this guy was a fireman and went through <laughs> a burning. Like no, like folks. I mean, you got that. You got that hero sin. Like, stop. 
I had to tell you know, people. Usually, uh, usually I'm the honorary one that's picking on everybody. I, did uh, did we turn over some new leaves? Uh, did, did we do like a body swap here? No, I, I think we're the same people. But I guess in the new year, I think I, I guess it's something some left over last year. I had to get out, like you know, a festivist type thing. The thing is, Chris, all I owe Nick Foles. Nick Foles is he should be the quarterback of the stop. I said about Nick Foles is a great spot starter, but this guy can't run your franchise. It's literally like handing your keys to the the guy, the mail clerk to run your company. Like, oh, but what do you mean? Yeah, the mail clerk is great at their job, but can they lead? You know, can he? They lead a friend? No. I said, there's a reason why he lost his job to Mitchell Trubisky, Chris. This is like literally when Urkel became Urkel. Like Laura, Laura did love Urkel. Urkel, you know, we didn't love Urkel, but guess who Laura loved? Urkel. Only thing that changed was he, you know, you know, more stuff in his hair and pronunciation of his name. That's it. He went from Urkel to Urkel. He, that's it. That's that's what the Bears essentially did. You had. Urkel and Mitchell Trubisky, then you went to Urkel, thinking you get Urkel and Nick Foles, and all of a sudden, guess what, Chris? You're back to Urkel again. That's the Bears. I can't believe we hit a Family Matters uh, thing on yeah. there. That's the we're, 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 we're circling all around. Listen, we, we, we go long enough, we might hit step by step. But the point <laughs> is, but, but, but the biggest thing is, Chris, with the Saints, going back to the Saints is, Chris, you know, with Drew Brees, I you know what I will say with Drew Brees is the quarterback. They scored, they've scored twenty six or more points in ten straight games when he's under center. So he's still, you know, despite how old, I'm thinking this is his last season. He's very, he's an integral part of this team, and you know, whether he's healthy or not, you know, verdict may be still out. But the one thing that the Saints, especially Drew Brees and Sean Payton, know to do, Chris, is win. Is that when you can argue that when it comes to the you know the legacy, of either guy is attached to one another, because listen the only the only team that wanted Drew Brees after he got hurt when the Chargers were in San Diego was the Saints, because he went to he went to Miami Miami Pat that's when Nick Saban was at Miami, they passed on Drew Brees Drew Brees went to New Orleans as the rest as they say is history. So he's going to forever be tied to that city. He is the Saints. That's why you want to see him out there. And when the one thing that I'll, I can always say Drew Brees is very good at, listen, he's the all-time leader in a single season. He throws the ball 70% of the time completion, Chris. Basically, every 10 times he throws the ball, it's landing in the hands of either Michael Thomas or any other, literally Kamara, anybody's hands, seven times. That's how good he is. We just we just talked about that accuracy matters. Yeah, I tell people, listen. You're like, oh, you're not Cam Newton. Well, look at Cam Newton. People think, listen, you know, listen. This is not personal. Listen, I I criti- listen. I've criticized people on my team. I do it for everybody. It's open season. It's not duck season or rabbit season. It's open season. The fact of the matter is, what makes the Saints scarier, Chris, is is that the Saints' run game, the way that the Saints can stop the run with Dennis Allen. They can stop the run. And the one thing the Bears, only thing they can really do is run the ball with David Montgomery. It could be a long day. 
in the dome. So listen, uh, take take the Saints minus ten. And finally, a team that I may have to eat a whole lot of crow for, which you know, quite frankly, I'll just probably eat some apple pie as a replacement. Let's face the facts. Here's the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Listen, I will, uh, you know, you know, it's funny that, you know, I tell people a lot of people listen to the show in a lot of states. and I didn't know that because, you know, I have a way to track it. People in Ohio is the second most popular state listen to the show, Chris. I don't know how. All we do is hate on them. <laughs> you, you, you know what? And I'm like, how? Are, and I'm looking at the numbers. And I'm like, how? Like, I get Washington's number one. I get I rave on Russell Wilson. I get that. I literally bash Baker. They're like literally the opening joke to every monologue I'd ever have on a show. Like, like literally. But I guess they understood. I guess, you know, maybe somebody in Cleveland, listen, they're listening. Listen, Baker probably listens. Because Baker, Baker knows I don't hate him. I just think that for most of his career, he had more television commercials than he did touchdown passes. That's not an insult. I don't think it is. He's making money. He's capitalism. I said nothing wrong, Chris. I mean, you may, maybe to other people I said something wrong. But guess what? He's in the playoffs. And what happened is, is that they hired an adult as a head coach in Kevin Stefanski. You have a system in place. It's structure. The one thing that Cleveland lacked since they came back into the league was structure, Chris. You hired an adult. You don't hire the gym coach like you did Freddie Kitchens. You hired an adult who has a track record. And like I said, I preach of the fact of the job that Stefanski did with Kirk kissing cousins. Because literally Stefanski turned around Kirk Cousins' career. So if he could turn around his career, he can do something with Baker because, Chris, this team was too talented not to be in the playoffs. Okay, it, it was just like you know, going back to the NBA. It's just like that year where the Lakers had Carl Malone, they had Gary Payton, Shaq, and Kobe. The fifth guy was probably the Gatorade guy, the Gatorade boy. It doesn't matter who the fifth guy was. Maybe it was Rick Fox or Devin George, one of those guys. And they were playing the Detroit Pistons who had Rip Hamilton, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace. On paper, Chris, you would go with the Lakers. You got four Hall of Famers over there, Chris. Four. Like, it doesn't matter. You know, there's still some stuff in the tank. And guess what happened? The Pistons swept. <laughs> the Pistons, you know, knocked the brakes off of them. And I think with the Cleveland Browns, that's what you're, you know, you have that sort of talent. They've always had that talent. They just underperformed because they didn't have an adult leading them, Chris. I think we learned about, you know, accuracy not only applies to literally, but figuratively. They didn't have nobody to be, to lead them to do right and wrong, to be accurate in terms of judgment. They, they literally, they hired a guy because he was good one year, you know, for, you know, with Baker Mayfield. I'm like, no, you need a guy who's long-term. Freddie Kitchens is the guy that you hire as an assistant coach on your football, on your high school football team. That's who, you know, you know, you know, being, you know, high school football, being here in Florida, he looks like a guy I would go to on a Friday night and see on the sidelines being a, an assistant coach. That's Freddie Kitchens. And then, but yet that guy got a head coaching job in the NFL. And I said, this ain't going to work. And it didn't. They got Stefanski. They're in the playoffs. And they're playing the Steelers team, Chris. Listen, 
you know, the Browns are only six and a half point dogs, Chris. It's like you would think that they'd be bigger, but here's why, Chris. The Steelers can't run the ball. And at the end of the day, when I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, Chris, they they picked it up somewhere toward the end, but still kind of struggled. And you're playing a Cleveland team who may be hungry, Chris. This may be a hungry team. It may not, like you said earlier, they may not be able to win the whole thing, but they could knock out of Pittsburgh. You know, for the sake of my pride, I'm picking Pittsburgh. And we I think and what <laughs> because well, I've said I've said now, Chris, I've said nice things. When this show goes out, I've said nice things. So, you know, like Frank Sinatra said, let the record show, Chris, I still did it my way. I, it's still my way. I can't fathom Cleveland being good. Now, if they put on a good show, Chris, you never know. I might spring for a Baker. No, not a Baker jersey. Yeah. You know, I will spring for a Baker Mayfield jersey. You know, listen, I don't know how. I don't I don't want to take for me to convince. You know, listen, it's something with the Midwest. I may have to go talk to somebody about that. But, but, so, so, so now, so speaking of, you know, stick with the Midwest, Chris, you know, I want to shift over to Major League Baseball really quickly and talk about, speaking of a big trade in the Midwest, you know, Cleveland traded away their all-star shortstop, Francisco Lindor, and their starter, Carlos Carrasco, to the Mets. And for the record, for those who just listened to the show, Chris is a huge Mets fan. He's not a Yankees fan, so I like to get people. Now you're just talking shit, man. Now you're just. I love. I'm keeping him honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, my thing is, is I don't necessarily hate the Mets. Here we go. He said necessarily. No, well, you know, they're one of those. There's a modicum of hate. There's a modicum of hate, Chris. (laughs) There's really not. They're one of those teams that I don't mind. Um, you know. Uh, as a as a New Yorker, naturally, I'm going to root for uh, you know the Yanks, but you know push comes to shove too. I I you know I I'll I'll go for the Mets when I have to, um, but you know one of my big things with the Mets is for years, years, my biggest bitch with them is that they were just so poorly managed. They have a yeah. big payroll. They're in the biggest baseball market in the world and they've they, they could they could get out there like the the red Sox and the dodgers and the yankees and the and uh and the astros and they can get out and go spend some money but they just don't it's like with the jets in the nfl you know john johnson and johnson own the new york jets i bet any of you listening right now could walk into your kitchen in your bathroom and find at least five things made by Johnson and Johnson. I promise you. And they can't manage a football team to save their life. And I think the Mets were in the same problem. And then this guy with, with kind of a bad rap gets involved with him, Stephen Cohen. And, uh, you know, he was one of the, the, the hated one percent elitist, the hedge fund guy, yeah, you know what? He did do some some shitty things uh, with with one of his companies. He paid his dues, and you know I'm a very firm believer. If you 
you do something that you commit a crime and you pay your dues, you need to be not necessarily let go for it, but it needs to be looked back. It's like when Michael Vick, for example, everyone, you know, everyone's still on this high, you know, I hate Michael Vick uh, train. What he did was wrong. I'm a, I'm a huge, I, I honestly think most of the time I love dogs more than I love people. And, um, what he did was, was morally wrong to, to dogs. And, I didn't like it, and to this day, I still don't. But the man went to jail. He didn't bitch. He didn't complain. He went to jail, and he served his time, and he became a productive member of society again. And it now does charities and stuff for dogs. And and going back to Stephen Cohen here, the man, he, he fucked up. He, he did. You know, he did some insider trading. It wasn't right, but, you know... Let's just face it. Wall Street's a dirty place, and whoever thinks that anybody's clean there, I got oceanfront property in front of uh, Arrowhead Stadium that I would like to sell you. Um, but going back to the Mets, the Mets are in some weird, dire straits. You know, he's originally from uh, he's a Jewish guy from New York, uh, and all of a sudden, this guy starts amassing money and money and money and money, and. Uh, 2012, he buys a few percent of the Mets, you know, and uh, so it was a it was a, a three tier ownered uh, team. So there's three three majority shares of the team. Uh, well, finally, uh, you know, Cohen's idea and and just his mantra is, you know, you got to in order to win big, you got to spend big. And so he said to hell with it. He put in for option to buy the controlling interest of the Mets. Uh, and I want to say in, in August of this year, um, it went to the board for the the, the owners association in, in September, October, he cut the check and, you know, and the, the owners association approved the sale. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, he bought the other guys out and and he's running the show now. And all of a sudden the Mets are starting to make moves. And this acquisition uh, that was just made with uh, uh, Lindo and, and Carrasco, uh, that speaks volumes. I, I, I think the, the Mets are, are definitely under new ownership. And I think that reflects top to bottom uh, new ownership, and, uh, you know, and that translates usually into a new GM, into a new skipper, and eventually new players. And he's going to build the Mets up. They're not going to be the laughing stock of the NL. You know, they might not do well this this next year. They might not make the playoffs, but next year, the year after, we'll see what happens. I mean, the the that NL division has gotten increasingly aggressive uh we can say and 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 the the quality of it has gone up because like you said in the early 90s the braves owned it uh the, the early 2000s the phillies owned it you know i don't think the mets have really done anything with it since the 80s 90s maybe you know when daryl strawberry was out there doing his thing and mike piazza out there banging home runs but uh, you know they kind of fell off in the 2000s and and into present day and I think with Cohen being the majority owner now, I, I definitely think that uh, there's going to be some hell to pay in the in the NL, and I'm pretty excited about it. You know, I, I think the thing is, Chris, is is that I think not only the Mets, but look at the Padres. The Padres went out and traded for two starters. They got my guy you uh, Darvish from the Cubs, and they went and got Blake Snell from the Rays. 
And I think what you're seeing is, Chris, is that everyone's trying to compete with the Dodgers. And in the same way teams in the NL are trying to compete with the Yankees. Simply because, Chris, I'm a firm believer of being aggressive in order to get, you know, to win. I think while, especially in baseball, because in baseball, it's not like the, you know, I don't think necessarily like the NBA or, you know, the NFL. That I think, Chris, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, you can win rather quickly because simply put, the payrolls are simply higher. So you can go and acquire good talent quicker if you're in push mode to win. Like, take my Cubs. I know the Cubs right now, we're in rebuild mode because we traded Darvish. You know, at some point, I think Wilson Contreras is going to be gone. And I feel that either Rizzo, Chris Bryant, or maybe even both may be gone, if not this winter, at some point during the forthcoming season. And and it's just about where you feel your team is. Because when you're a general manager, Chris, you have to know where you stand. Ownership has to know what what kind of team are, are we rebuilding? Are we contending? Are we a championship? If we're a championship team, let's go add a championship piece. If you're a contending piece, let's go get an arm or get a bat to compete. If you're rebuilding, Chris, you're just going down to the the bare basics. Because basically, it's like with TLC. Like if you're winning the championship, Chris, you don't want no scrubs on your team. Um, you don't want no scrubs. No scrub. Sorry. Yeah. No. See. Oh yeah, you did the same thing I did yeah. with JoJo. See. See. What you know we call it America. We call it, we call it America. We call that ping ponging off of each other. So. But I, I think I think before we wrap, I think the biggest takeaway, Chris, I think when you talk about baseball, is, is that I continue to expect the Mets to make more moves. It may not be splashier moves, but listen, when you think of a rotation now with DeGrom and Syndergaard, maybe he's ready by June. Maybe. We're not sure. Come up with Tommy John. And then you throw in Carrasco. Chris, those are some good arms. And when you look in the division, you're with the Braves, and you look, and you know the Marlins are the Marlins. Let's just face the facts. The Phillies are interesting, but you look at the Nationals. I think the Nationals. I don't know how to feel about the Nationals. I, I really don't, because on one hand, I really, really like, you know, I like their, you know, I, I like their arms, but their bats as a whole. I'm not really 100 percent on that. But the NL East may be the most intriguing division in baseball this forthcoming season because the Mets got serious. The Mets realized that they're the Mets. They're in a major market. The Mets should be what the Knicks should be doing and realizing, hey, we can get stars to come here. And I think, Chris, if you start seeing guys like Lindor and Carrasco come there, Chris, free agents may want to may want to be a Met. Because the problem is, Chris, if you don't have the pieces there to convince a free agent— why would they show up? Because people like that's what I hear from Nick fans like, why are we terrible? No one wants to play in New York. Yeah. No one no one wants to play in nobody wants to play in New York because it, it's trash. I remember when free agency came for the Knicks. I remember when like KD, I think LeBron, there were a lot of free agents, Chris. Nobody wanted to go to New York. The best acquisition the, the Knicks got was Julius Randle. Exactly. That silence yeah. is the, it's the same thing Knicks fans. Like, who? And it's like, what's your point? You have to, like I said earlier, some point you have to know what you want to be. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to bash, you know, listen, if I, already, if I already hit the Midwest, I might as well hit, I might as well hit New York while I'm at it. But the, 
my biggest point is, Chris, is is that this goes for any franchise. You have to know where you stand and what you want. Because, like, look, I'll go to the NFL. I won't I won't bash basketball. That's later. We look at the head coaching openings right now, Chris. The Chargers, the Jaguars, the Texans, the Falcons, the Jets, and the Lions. To me, if I'm a potential candidate, Chris, there's two jobs to me that I really want. There's two jobs. Chargers, Jaguars. Why? Chargers, Chris, I already got a built-in franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. I have a pretty good defense. The only downside that to Chris is that you have to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, but it's like that's, playing in that's the AFC it. The when, when when Brady was on the paths is you know there's a good chance you had to had to play him you know and it sucks. <laughs> and it's like well you you meant to be Patrick Mahomes but you could definitely make the playoffs. You could easily be the second best team in that division. You know maybe even the first. You know for a long time. The Jaguars' job, it's simple. You have cap space, the number one overall pick. And there were rumors, Chris, that I heard that they were talking about Urban Meyer was a candidate. And I just want to say this, Chris. You and I, I think, both have a healthy respect for Urban Meyer. Healthy respect. Healthy respect. That's, uh... Okay. Hey, I forgot who I was talking to. You have so, a healthy Your Honor, respect for him. I, uh... I, I, I had Honor, an autographed picture of him and I standing together that I set on fire. I don't uh, think I qualify as healthy. Your Honor, I retract that question. So, uh, Your Honor, I object. Uh, you know, I retract the question or the statement. Here's the thing with Urban Meyer, Chris. I just don't think he's an NFL coach. I and people are like, oh, no. here's the thing. When I look at guys, you know, college guys, and I'll say this before we wrap up, and we'll talk about more of this probably next episode or down the road about, you know, head coaching candidates. But what I will say about anybody in college who wants to be in the NFL, to me, Chris, there's only one guy who I feel right now, if you pick up the phone and call, I'm not saying, Chris, he'll take the job, but he'll listen, and that's David Shaw at Stanford. Why? David Shaw has NFL experience. David Shaw has one at a program that's extremely it's it's basically the Notre Dame of the West. Except that more people like Stanford. But you didn't hear that? Listen. <laughs> that's more letters for more people in the Midwest. <laughs> great. It's gonna be great. I gotta order in and read all of those. But <laughs> but my point is, is that David Shaw is an attractive candidate because he has NFL experience and he's proven. He could win in a place that's hard to win. That's the NFL, Chris. You have to win in places that are extremely hard to win. Like I look at like look at what Matt Rule did coming from Matt Rule got the job in Carolina because he won in places that never won. That's Temple and Baylor. Because when you think of Temple, you think of basketball. I think of John Cheney. I think of Baylor. I I think of other things. But the point is, he turned around the franchise. He turned around those schools successfully, and he's in the NFL, and arguably is going to get it right. Show me where, and I'm not not Urban Meyer, but everywhere Urban Meyer went, he's won. That's great. But show me where, where Urban Meyer, that where he can coach, 
Has he coached an NFL quarterback? I could argue maybe one, and that's Alex Smith. Maybe one. And I tell people, he. the problem with these college coaches is that, listen, they want all the money, all the power, and don't know what they're doing. Go ask Chip Kelly. The Eagles gave him personnel control. You know what Chip Kelly is? Fired from UCLA. Yeah. I tell people, listen. It's it's a hard transition if you, if you look at it. You know, there's not a lot of successful. You know, Pete Carroll is a success story. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, P- Pete Carroll's a success. Like, Jimmy Johnson, all those years ago, that's a success story. And mind you, Chris, that was almost 30 years ago, where you can go from college. I mean to cut you off, buddy. From college to the pros. And I argue, like, David Shaw, Chris, and I'm going to throw a name out there. And people may say, oh, it's obvious. But I've said it. What if I said the name Dan Mullen? If it, there there have if, been some rumors floating around about uh, about old Danny boys scooching into uh, into the big leagues, and one of the teams that have ironically have been uh, don't don't say it, Chris. I know it's the Jets. I I, I know what team. Can we cut? Can we edit that out? Oh, I'm trying no, to editing. No, no, I I don't want him on the Jets. I don't want him as the head coach of the Jets. Yeah. I a, I don't think that he is equipped to coach in the NFL just yet. And B, let's sit down and let's break it down real quick. Um, and I know, I know we're getting ready to to be crunching on time, but we, you know, I'll I'll make this point pretty quick. So University of Florida, he's, a he lives in Florida, in a very inexpensive state to live in. Cost of living is good. Blah 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 blah. Okay. Now, well, all that being said, he's making six and a half million dollars a year. He goes into the NFL, uh, and let's just say he takes over the Jets. He's going to have to live in New York, New Jersey, you know, Connecticut, maybe. All three states are very expensive to live in. Quality of life kind of sucks, I know from personal experience, and it's very cold. Uh, and then on top of that, the Jets aren't going to give him $6.5 million a year. I, I would say five at the most, and I think that's yeah. even pushing it. He's a rookie, uh, a rookie NFL uh, coach. He's, he, he doesn't have the clout to come out, and, and he he hasn't won multiple national titles, you know, like Pete Carroll did, or even Urban Meyer, I think, could get a little bit more per year than than Dan Mullen could. And, you know, certain coaches are, are uh, built for the NFL, and I think certain ones are built for college. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll is the hybrid that can do both. But, you know, uh, I, I think over in Michigan with Harborough, that's a, a great example. The man's amazing in the NFL. Goes to Michigan, and, well, we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, he's going to uh, get a contract extension. Like, yeah, come I, on, I, folks. I don't know. I don't know how. I, I hope if I ever become that much of a fuck-up at my job, uh, I, I can get a, a raise. Um, but all that being said, you have – with with Mullen, I don't see him making the jump. I think that he still wants to to rebuild his the program at Florida. Now, if he rebuilds Florida, they win a national title. At that point, yes, I I, I could see him trying to make the jump. But as of right now, I don't think so. I honestly do see Urban Meyer going. But the one thing that really haunts Urban Meyer, he doesn't like losing. And when he gets yeah. behind the eight ball, he magically starts having heart heart issues. And I don't want to say it's fake. I don't want to make that accusation. But, um, well, when he ran out of talent at Florida, 
ah, I'm sick. I'm done coaching. I'm going to hang it up and that's it. All of a sudden he goes to Ohio State. Ohio State runs out of talent. Oh, man, I'm sick. I'm out. I am Bob. I don't want to be that guy and be an asshole and say those things, but I don't expect it to be a, a very long-lasting tenure if he does make the jump to the NFL. And that's a huge jump between college and pro. That's a it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. and But the thing is, with Matt Rule, Matt Rule got seven years, $60 million. And the reason why he got that contract is simply because he had NFL experience. I yes. tell people, like, listen, he, he's making $8 million a year, but he's a college coach. But you understand, he was in the NFL, and that matters. And I think, with like you say, with Dan Mullen, it would be a pay cut. And I think that another thing with Dan Mullen, I think I just don't feel like you said. I'll take what you say and add more to it. No, do I think he's not ready? I just don't feel that the resume is quite fine tuned enough. And that's not an indictment on his you know, his coaching career, but I feel. Guys like Dan Mullen, two, maybe, you know, two years. You know, if there's another opening, I'd consider it. Because he has to read, if he can take Florida and do what Spurrier did and do what Urban Meyer did and win a national championship, Chris, then, we then the talk. phone, then the money's going to be like, oh, we got to pay this guy. Because the fact of the matter is, the more things on your resume, the more your price tag goes up. Urban Meyer can ask for money because he's won multiple national championships at multiple and at multiple programs. And he's everywhere he's gone, the program has gotten better within the next year, the next one to two years. So speaking of getting better for the year, that's a wrap on our first episode. To just hold on to interjects. I just got okay. Hurt. Uh, according to uh, 24-7 Sports, a reliable source has confirmed that Jim Harborough has just signed and finalized his contract extension to remain at the head coach of Michigan. That's not a way to end the show. But <laughs> I guess <laughs> not a way to end the show. I just I hope one day when I suck at my job so bad that I can uh, I can get away yeah. and, and get a yeah. huge raise. Yeah, if I can just you know you know just basically you know laugh in the face of the program and suck. Hey, we'll give you we'll, we'll we'll give you not only the money you have now, we'll give you more money. God bless. And, and you just sit in your office and you know you sit in your chair and swivel around all day. But thank you, you know. I guess we'll end the show on that. But thank you for listening to the first episode of the Sports of the World podcast for 2021. And until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius and I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe. For all, for all of us here at the Sports and the World Podcast. Happy New Year, you filthy animals.